everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. I'm your host, Carson Humiston, the founder of Vanks, and I've been really looking forward to this episode because I have two great friends on today. We have Ryan, who is the co-founder and executive chairman at LeafLink, and we have Artie, who is the president and CEO at LeafLink. We're going to have a really exciting conversation about startup phase of LeafLink, scale-up phase of LeafLink, the industry as a whole. It's going to be a great conversation. So thanks so much for tuning in. And Artie and Ryan, thank you for being here. How are you guys? Doing well. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Let's start, out by, let's start out, Ryan, with you. Can you give us a little bit about your background and what in the world ever made you decide that you thought it was a good idea to start a business in the cannabis industry? At this point, we're, uh, yeah, we've been building for a number of years, and it was back to 2015. Uh, I just started and sold another technology company in different regulated space. Uh, we had sold to a very traditional, pretty old-school holding company. Not a lot of innovation happening there. I'd always loved marketplaces. Uh, Business-to-consumer marketplaces was selling things online from a super young age. And I was curious how there weren't more business-to-business marketplaces that was interesting. And in 2015, 2016, we started seeing Colorado, Washington State going legal. And is there an opportunity to define this industry before it even needs to be disrupted with business to business technology? We saw a lot of customers that were just totally underserved by anything off the shelf. They couldn't use name brand solutions that everyone else takes for granted. And we wanted to come in and support them, really build up this online community that we've now done, you know, half of all wholesales on the platform. And we really are focused on empowering retailers to be the best retail experience brands to be the the best brands. And on LeafLink's marketplace, they could find each other and we help support them do everything else along the way with the, the community that we now have on LeafLink platform. So backing up a little bit to 2015, you decided that you were interested in this industry, you're interested in marketplaces. How did you literally go about taking this from an idea to getting your first customers in Colorado. A lot of people listening to the show have aspirations to build something, to be an entrepreneur. Like, what does it take to go from that idea to actually getting your first customer? And what was like that journey like at LeafLink? We were really in a fortunate position coming off of the last company we sold that we had a million dollars from investors ready to go again. It was like, whatever Ryan and my co-founder Zach were working on, they were like ready to support. Uh, we didn't even have a product, but the way we got our first customers uh, was, you know, one of our closest advisors in New York has a, had a cousin who lived in Denver, who was friends with a guy that ran uh, an awesome brand in, in, in Colorado. And so we just went out and met with them. We were staying at like basements of Airbnbs, you know, some places you probably keep all your clothes on when you go to sleep at night, just like saving every dollar we could. And living in the warehouse with our first customer uh, in Denver, just to understand what they had to deal with from you know, the moment an order comes in to the to the the moment it's delivered to their end user. So this would be the retail shop. And uh, from there, we you know did ride-alongs with their sales team. We went to industry events, a lot of cold calls, a lot of cold emails, a lot of persistence. Nothing, you know, nothing really. Uh, beautiful or easy about it. It was just, you know, a lot of hard work and being in person with the customer from day one. It's it's funny that you just told that story because last week we had the folks from Trim on and they were talking about same thing. They just basically lived with their customer and they spent, they didn't even completely know what their solution out of the gate was, but they spent so much time 
being with the customer. And I think that's such a great tip for people that are trying to start a business. Like, don't come out with the exact solution. Go spend time with the customer and figure out exactly what it is that they need. Ryan, what in the early days surprised you about, you know, maybe what you thought the problem was versus what the actual problem was? Like, in the early days when you were living with those customers, what was the biggest surprise? Uh, to what you said, though, I think you're right. Like, you're either there or you have nothing. And I think that's how you build very early on. And, and some of the challenges that we saw, you know, we expected when you walk into a facility and you see a bunch of people kind of buzzing around and, and they, they create an amazing product at the end of the day, and you look behind the curtain, it's pretty amazing <clears throat> how they were stitching together and running their businesses on text, me- text messages, Google Sheets. Uh, they weren't using all these sophisticated solutions that existed in other verticals at all. And so for us, it was like, all right, well, we have this marketplace idea, but it sounds like when you get an order from your sales team, they are texting the fulfillment team who are putting it on a whiteboard uh, with like blue painters masking tape to break down the cells of what accounts are that they need to make that day. Maybe we should put that online. And they're like, yeah, maybe we should. Like, all right. So Zach, my co-founder, code that up and let's get it in their hands and let's just start helping them internally. And then we'll go to the retailer and get some orders going. But it was really like meeting them where they were because they had, they didn't have, they had even less than we thought. And I, and speaking to other verticals, I think that's the case too. Like much more mature industries are still doing things in a really inconsistent and efficient way. And that's, I think, an awesome entry point for a solution like ours. I remember one of the first times we met, you showed me a picture of like someone's, I don't know, someone's office. And it was literally like all their orders manually written out on a whiteboard. And it was just like so shocking that that's how they were going about doing it. And then I remember you, and I'd love for you to, you don't, you don't have to tell the name of this person, but so you kind of came up with the solution. Obviously, it doesn't make sense to have orders written on whiteboards and you started pitching some people and some people told you, oh, this will never work. This will never work. We're going to, we're going to keep uh, writing on whiteboards. Can you kind of talk about some of those early doubters and you know how later on they actually wanted to invest? It was, it was really, it was really important. And everyone in this industry is so proud of what they do. They really love the product or they really love the community or they really love their customers or patients. And so for us coming from New York, it was important to put as much physical time literally with them as we could to demonstrate that we were there to be their partner. And I think once we got over the hump that we're fully invested in this, we are going to be here to support you. We're not going anywhere. Uh, and now it's been seven years of, of servicing you know, the majority of the industry. I think we've really won over that level of trust and, and relationship with customers. But, but yeah, in the beginning, you know, people always thought, oh, like, there's all these fly-by-night people that come into cannabis they're going to make a bunch of money here, call it a day. And, and that's the story. We always knew and we always said this is going to be a long slog. It really is. And it, and, it, and it has been that way for a lot of people. I think a lot of people won't make it to the other side, but we're your partner and we'll be here and we'll do everything we can to make sure you're, make sure you're there too. And that was part of how, that was part of how I think we won, won them over. So of course, you know, obviously it's been now seven years. It's been a lot has happened since you won those first early customers. Can you talk to us a little bit about getting from those initial customers to getting to a true seed round? And for people that are sort of pre-seed, they do the angel round, friends and family, they need to get from that stage to actually being able to attract legitimate investors in. 
what needs to happen in that time? And, you know, is there any learnings that, that you took from, from that period of time? Simple goals and, and, um, and clear and clear definitions of success. So for us in the first five years, like there were three things we cared about GMV. So the number of transactions on the marketplace, how many buyers, so retailers and how many sellers we signed up. That was the only thing we ever talked about. And that was internally how we ran the business. We had goals set to that. Externally for investors, it was around scalability. So we started the first angel round was like, let's see if this idea works in the only market that exists, Colorado. And if you believe, as we do, that this market will grow to other states, we're going to need more money to take it from Colorado to Washington, Oregon, and California. That's going to cost another $3 million. And then if it works in four states, we think it could work in 15. So we're going to open up in another 11, and that's the A round. And then the B round... And the rounds that came after that were really, we can get to this later, more about monetizing the transactions. So how are we taking this whole volume and community we've built and then begin to give customers more of what they need, uh, but also as a business, begin to make money on the LeafLink side too. And so, Artie, of during this time, Artie, we want to loop you I- into this. During this time, while Ryan and Zach and team are out there starting up, what were you doing in in your career, because, you know, you certainly weren't uh, in warehouses out in, in, in the cannabis industry. So, so so what were you doing during this time? Yeah. So my, my background is, you know, subscription-based, you know, uh, technology-enabled services. And so, you know, I grew up more in sort of the software technology, media spaces. I spent a lot of my career in the cable industry, um, which was probably specifically where I was uh, when Ryan was sleeping in the, in the basement with his clothes on in 2015. And then um, I, all, then I went and I joined WeWork. You know, my, my background is interesting. I'm, I'm obviously not a founder, but what I've done is I think Ryan is probably like, you know, the fifth founder who I've worked with in my career, um, you know, media cable, early days of the internet, there were a lot of, you know, obviously founder driven companies. And I was lucky enough to work with, you know, some pretty amazing founders. And that has been sort of, a, I guess, a niche that I've been able to sort of carve out is like, okay, the, this founder has, an awesome idea. They've, they've, they've built this business and, you know, how can I be helpful sort of taking it to the next um, level? I think, you know, when I got to, um, when I left Time Warner Cable, you know, it was, again, if you think of cannabis, it, it was a state by state business. We competed locally, highly regulated, um, and, you know, um, a lot of sort of uh, local and national and regional complexities you needed to sort of deal with. And the more I spent time with Ryan, there was just like some some weird sort of similarities to that to that industry. And, you know, if you think about, again, sort of cable, you have content and you have just. Dis- you have distribution. So you think about 
you know, content is HBO and ESPN, the content in our, you know, in the cannabis industry are, are brands. And then, you know, frankly, how do you help, you know, those brands basically uh, succeed? You give them sort of great distribution, which we did in cable. And frankly, we can do through LeafLink um, today. And so when I, when Ryan reached out to me, um, I was honestly kind of semi happily semi retired doing some investing in it and advising. And, you know, what, what interested me here was one, you know, just Ryan and Zach, like I, I just, you know, really enjoyed the time I, I spent with them and thought they were just like amazing founders and what they had built and, you know, the opportunity to really help define the industry. I think, again, you know, a lot of jobs you look at, you're trying to disrupt some other industry where here it's like you're actually trying to define an industry that we know has, you know, whether they're social and economic benefits of the industry. So that that was what was most sort of compelling to me, like the, the people and, and the opportunity to define. So, okay, so so Ryan, you reach out to Artie, you pull Artie out of semi-retirement to join, yeah, exactly, the easiest space of all time. Um, Artie, when you got into LeafLink and you started really learning the cannabis industry, what was the, the number one most surprising thing that, that you saw? I think, um, you know, for me, I think one of the things that um, I think the industry really needs to be successful is we, we should have basically, I think a rising tide lifts all boats in the industry. I think that was one of the things we did really well in cable and cable TV. Like, you know, we were, uh, we, we were rivals, but we were all sort of all growing our business together. I think at times in, um, and so business in, in that industry was not viewed as a zero sum game. I think at times, um, you know, this, the, the industry as it has evolved, um, you know, who, who we sort of define as our, our rivals or the people we need to defeat or the things we need to do are actually not the things that I think are going to sort of benefit the industry and, and, and all of us. And so, that's like something I would just love to see more happening in the industry is just like, how do we all work together to, you know, make sure this industry is, is, is on the path that it, it should be. Ryan, when you reached out to Artie to, to bring him in, what, what exactly were you looking for and how did you know that it was the right time in your business to bring in someone with Artie's background to, to help you take the business to the next level? When Ari and I started talking, we were probably some around, you know, 250 plus people and we were hiring, you know, almost a person a day, a little over a year ago. And the company was getting increasingly complicated, sophisticated with layers of management and process operation requirements. And, you know, although we kind of joke about the early days of LeafLink being with customers and understanding problems. I, I love those those moments and those times, and I you know I found that a lot of my schedule was 
back-to-back, you know, meetings, one-on-ones, managing people or, or helping people that I thought, you know, I could do a bunch of things. Other people could do certain things better that have run large organizations. Absolutely. And so uh, we, we, you know, we went out for, and look, we're looking for like a COO president type role. And in the back of my mind, I thought if we could find someone amazing who's been on these paths before, can, you know, help our team grow, help our customers have an even better experience as a result of that, that's a huge win. And so I was really excited to bring Artie on to do that. And then over the, we're coming up on Artie's almost one year anniversary. Uh, I thought, well, if that works out really well in that role, you know, could take on even more into the CEO position. And, uh, you know, as a result of a lot of the success that we've had with Artie here and, you know, this new round coming in just all made a lot of sense at this time to do that change and, and enter this next chapter, which I think was going to look very different uh, from the first six or seven years. But uh, it becomes clearer every day now with some of the things that we've been working on internally at the business. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, for... I think founders, you know, often are like, all right, where do, where do I want to spend my time? And do I have, you know, frankly, all the, the, the minutes and hours in the day to, to do that? I think, again, as I, I think about things that are really important for the industry now, I think, you know, external facing is is really important. There's a lot of things, you know, on the on the regulatory front that, impact the industry. And I think, you know, obviously Ryan's been spending a bunch of time there as well as again, spending time with our customers as they, you know, work through what's been a difficult time in the industry. I think also, you know, frankly, I think given where the industry is now, I think you're going to see consolidation happen in the industry. Um, And I think again, um, one of the things, you know, again, where Ryan's been you know, just spending a lot of time thinking about we've been spending time together on is just what does the chessboard start to look like in this in this industry, you know, over the next 12 to 24 months. But I think, you know, there's there's going to be consolidation. And, you know, I think, again, one of the things we're excited about with our with our balance sheet and around getting done is, you know, we, we think there's some some really interesting opportunities for LeafLink there. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that. I think only cannabis company in 2023 to pull off any kind of round, let alone a $100 million round. So congratulations to both of you. What was the funding environment like? Of course, you guys have raised several rounds of financing from tier one investors, one of the only technology companies in the space to be able to attract tier one big funds. What was the environment like this last round in comparison to other rounds? It was, uh, from my side, it, it's always been challenging to raise capital in cannabis because the industry is federally illegal. So you immediately, right off the bat, half of funds don't even, can't write a check. So uh, it's always been challenging. I'd say it was you know, more challenging um, because of the way the public markets were. People didn't know how to price company rounds. There's a lot of change of opinion. Um, LPs were you know, getting more conservative. And, and so what we were able to do uh, on our side is really lean in and work closely with existing and our closest partners, uh, plus, you know, one or two new faces that we think are going to be strategic to some of the moves already talking about, uh, and pull together a really large round that we believe helps us do a couple things, but within it really creates this fortified balance sheet that 
gives us some exciting opportunity to deliver and continue to deliver for our customers, but also make the world a little bit simpler for them and pull together parts of what we see as this digital supply chain. So uh, it was definitely more challenging, very happy to be on the other side of it. But as I'm sure, Carson, you know, when you're raising money, the, the, the thing you actually want to do the most is just like go back to actually working on the business. And that's where we are now. So uh, it's better to be on this side than that side, but uh, you know, excited we got through it. Artie, from from your perspective, given that you've raised in cannabis and outside of cannabis, I I, I agree with with Ryan. It's every time we kick off a round, we are already are starting with like ninety percent less potential investors just because of the state of the industry. So, from your perspective, being involved in in a cannabis fundraise versus other fundraise, what were the differences and, and what did you observe as your first time going through this? Yeah, I think like, look, there was just sort of two issues that came together last year. One was obviously just a major, you know, slowdown in fundraising across all industries, given the macro environment and this drive to sort of profitability um, against a backdrop of, you know, publicly traded growth equity uh, was also getting sort of disproportionately hit. And so, you know, as a result, you know, I think cannabis was seen as like there were, there were multiple things sort of going on. One is um, higher risk growth equity, which probably cannabis is perceived to be among the highest of risks were were sort of disproportionately hit. And so stocks were hit on the, on the public side that read through obviously to the private side, um, as, as well, um, you know, safe banking got, you know, gummed up. And so as a result, I think where people really focused was, um, in our round of like, you know, what has been built here. And just, again, like I would just sort of say like, that LeafLink's got really good bones as a as a company. Like there's some things that we've we've done really really well. Um, and again, some things like most companies that we didn't do as 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 well. But there were just sort of like great bones um, with what had been created. And I think again, we'll, you'll see us like as a company taking it as like focusing on the things that we think we do really, really well. And, you know, look, you don't get to 50% share in the marketplace without doing some things really well. And I think, again, you know, as we've spent time with our, our customers on both the brand and the retail side, we think there's ways that we can, you know, really improve um, their business, which will have a read through to, to our business. I think, what a lot of companies had over the last few years is they had businesses and then they went, they, they sort of took that core business they were good at. And then it, it led them into two or three other sort of quote unquote ancillary businesses that, um, or they did mergers and Ryan's are, you know, which I've sort of said to Ryan, like, you know, some of these like Frankenstein mergers of two companies who are like maybe kind of okay at two different things. You sort of put, put those types of companies together, that's, that's not going to, that's not going to end well. Um, and so again, for us, like when we see, you know, the opportunity for consolidation or things in the space, it's going to be things where we're like, is this in our knitting? Like 
this, these are things that we actually think going back to sort of like our core marketplace and other businesses, these are things that we can do. There's other parts of the ecosystem that frankly, others can be awesome at. I think you, you just have to know what you're, what you're good at. And I think, again, when we spend time with our investors of sort of like our go forward plan, our go forward strategy, I think everyone was super aligned of like, okay, we, we get like this, this is, these are the, this is the core operation and, you know, getting alignment around then like, and then these are the areas we think we can, we can play in. And then other areas where, you know, we're going to let others do that. Yeah. So for people listening that may not be as familiar with LeafLink, what are the areas that you rock at, that you're the best at, that you're really planning, planning on doubling down on for, to really help this industry grow o- over the next year? What are those areas that you guys just crush at? Because to your point, you didn't just get to 50% of the market share uh, magically. You clearly delight customers in a lot of things that you do. What, what are those things? Yeah. So the things that uh, we've excelled at are really around this core function of purchasing uh, and, and back office management of supply side. So brands and distribution companies, that's how we've built the liquidity in the marketplace. That's how we've gotten the, the market penetration that, that we have. And so it's really thinking around that purchasing activity, who are the personas that spend the most time on it? And a lot of retailers, a lot of purchasing managers, a lot of owners, purchasing departments, can we invest even more there? On the sell side, you know, what tools are they using in addition to LeafLink that we could be working more closely alongside uh, to give a consistent experience and how they're running the back office of their business. Uh, so for us, I think it's really around like our core asset has been the large community that we built that are buying and selling and, and, and doing these orders on platform. And then what can we do to further support that and, uh, you know, begin to add services on top of it uh, along the way? that don't distract us from that being the, the main lifeblood of what, what is leafling. So, so right now it's been a little bit of a rocky road in cannabis. What are you, you guys sit in a place with an incredible amount of data. What are you guys seeing from where you're sitting? I mean, I, as someone that owns a hiring company, our phone used to ring with people saying we're hiring 200 people. And now our phone rings with a large operator telling us they're laying off 200 people. So it's been, at least from the bank's perspective, there's been more firing than hiring going on. From the LeafLink perspective and the data that you all have, what are you seeing and what's your perspective on what's going on in the industry? Yeah, look, I, I think there's there's definitely more shakeout that's going to happen in the in the industry this this year. And I think, again, that led to one of the reasons we wanted to sort of have this war chest balance sheet was, okay, let's make sure that frankly, we have, you know, a very clear path to profitability, which we do with a bunch of money left, left over. That being said, like there is, um, there's, there are green shoots in the industry. We have seen, frankly, pricing begin to stabilize in the industry. We have seen certain new states that, you know, have come on, you know, like, um, again, like in Missouri that we're, we're seeing like really healthy um, results from. There's more states that are going to come on later this year. And we think, again, um, you know, those should be very, um, 
successful. So, you know, look, this happens sometimes with industries where you sort of, you know, people need to learn like, okay, we, we had too much supply and we needed to work through that and pricing came down and that had an impact on the, on the overall industry. Um, I, again, I think where you're going to see on the other side of this is just, I think there'll be a bunch of consolidation. And then I think companies will rationalize the things like that they are really, really good at. And, um, you know, I think the thing about this industry is a lot of people have had to sort of vertically integrate out of necessity. And they do a bunch of different things just because no one else would frankly do them for them. I think, again, you'll, you'll start to see companies who say like, I'm going to be the best at this and these other two or three things, you know, I do more out of necessity. Maybe there's an, a, a company or a partner who I can use to frankly, you know, have them do that. And we'll, we'll, we'll just, you know, we'll focus on our knitting that, that I, I think you'll see a lot more of that over the next sort of 24 months. Ryan, what's, what's your take on state of industry and what's to come over the next year? I, I totally agree with, with everything that already, that I already put out there. And what I think we're seeing is, you know, a space that for some investors is becoming pretty long in the tooth been you know, almost a decade that some of these states have, have been legal. And as a result, you know, capital isn't going to come in as quickly as it used to, even when, you know, markets correct and, and money is moving the something you know, move the way it was, but something a little bit faster than the way it's moving now. And it will require just higher caliber operators and, and those that had gaps and holes and don't correct them won't be here. And I think, and that will be painful for the space, but the other side of it will be better for it. And I think the way we show up as a mature vertical will, will be, will take us where we need to go and where we're ultimately we'll get to. Uh, but it's part of how the space grows. And, I, and I've heard about it, you know, in others as well. So the, uh, you know, the, the best operators will rise to the top and the rest will go away. And hopefully at the end of the day, it makes a better space. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we're all here because we believe this will be one of the largest consumer categories in the U.S. I mean, last year there was $24 billion in legal sales with, we're not, with, that, with an industry that's not even federally legal. And so that's the long-term opportunity. And I think important to, I'm constantly reminding our team that this is, this is a moment in the industry and it will probably be healthy for the industry because there's been a lot of jokers that have popped up in this industry that probably should be washed out, frankly. The product will always be there and sold. It's just a matter of who's here to service it. Yeah, so going to that, Ryan, you just said something around operational excellence, which which I have a question for Artie about this. So, Artie, when you come into a company and you start partnering with a founder, what are the things that you look at to help the company start operating at scale in a better way? I think there's a lot of companies out there right now that want to make it and they want to do the hard work and make the hard decisions, but they don't really know what to do or where to start. And they probably can't afford to bring in someone like you. So what kind of tips do you have for people that want to make it to the other side, but don't really know where to start? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I always sort of like to do is just have the conversation around what's the vision for 36 months from now and sort of work backwards from there. Like if you're like, look, we, we need to, we think we can 10 X the business, 
or we want to, you know, we think we need to add these products and services. Um, we need to add these features. We need, to, you know, you, then you sort of look around the room and say, okay, like, do we have the, the product team, the engineering team, the marketing, you know, team, the customer service team to, to do that. So there's that front on like, let's, let's start with the finish line and work backwards. And then, you know, there's the things of like sort of day one where you walk in and you sort of say, okay, like, give me, you know, the data on, you know, today, like, why are our customers calling us? What are their issues? What are their problems? What are the things like we need to solve? And so you sort of saying like, okay, these things we need to, to, to handle right now, but then we need to think about building an organization and our systems and our processes and our people to basically keep up with the scale. And I think a lot of times what happens is, you know, and I think companies got caught up in this in the, in the last few years was chasing, you know, a, a growth rate. And the only way, frankly, to do that was like, we just throw more and more people at it. And then you wake up one day and, you know, as Ryan said, like you're, you're adding a person a day or some companies, multiple people a day because you haven't built like the foundational layer and the only way to solve it is to throw more people at the, at the problem. So again, it's more like, but let's, let's focus where we need to get to and, and build from that. Well, we only have 10 minutes left. And of course I still have three questions for you. So I'm going to try to go quickly through these. It's been such a good conversation, but you know, we're, Banks is a hiring business. And so I, I always ask everybody, what is the biggest hiring lesson that you've learned throughout your career? Ryan, let's start with you and then we'll get the answer from Artie. Biggest hiring lesson that you've learned? Related, the biggest like firing lesson is the moment you think to yourself, this person shouldn't be here. <laughs> they shouldn't be there. And that thought probably doesn't go away. So act faster. Fire faster. Just, okay. Number yeah. one, anything else? That's, uh, that's it on my side. One thing I think we had challenges on too is like spending in, especially for like very, you know, senior partner roles, like spending time in person together. It's, it's like impossible to really know somebody through just a zoom process. Sounds simple, but like, we're not that evolved. Artie, what about you? I think it's trying to match like what the company needs at that moment in time with like the person's skill set. You know, if you're, if you're coming into a startup, you know, the way I used to describe like, you know, like Time Warner Cable was like a fortune 100 company. I described it as like a pretty house on a pretty street. And my job was basically like maintain the house, make sure like we stay in the neighborhood we're in. And like, um, it's a very different job of like, here's some, some plywood and some bricks and cement and go, go build something. And that go build something like you really need people who know how to like get stuff done. And if you, if you don't have people who can get stuff done, it, um, it, it, it's just not going to work out. And so, you know, for us, like I, I sort of always say, like, it's the people who like, if I give them like, here's the issue, I need you to go off and solve this that I can, you know, know when they walk out of my office that they're going to come back with some, with some plan. Um, and, you know, 
I think what has happened a bit right now when I look at sort of the, the startup world is I think a lot of people went into the startup world who frankly probably shouldn't be in the startup world. Like startups are messy. They don't go always go up and to the right. People, startups go under, startups downsize, startups pivot. Um, you know, for the last several years, startups have paid both a lot of money in cash and a, and a bunch of equity. And so people were like, this is great. Like I have my cash and I have, you know, basically some upside if the, if the equity hits. And then I think people are sort of realizing like, you know, people who, you know, got out of college in 2009 on like the have kind of experienced the world going up and to the right. And that, that does not happen forever. And, and so again, I think what, we, what we've seen, and I think other companies are seeing like there's certain people who are sort of wired for this type of environment. I think one of the things um, that we're seeing too, is people who are actually, you know, excited almost of like people are really getting back to what startups are about, like being scrappy, hungry, solving problems, getting stuff done and, and, and moving forward. And so it's just like making sure, you know, at a startup, you have those, you have those types of people. Yeah. I think it's like dreamers versus doers. Like that's what we always talk about. And I also completely agree with you that over the last decade with interest rates being zero and money flowing into startups like never before, startups were basically just paying at the same rate as big companies. And so everybody was getting the best of both worlds in that like hardcore early days. You have to do this if you want to make payroll next month. That has somewhat disappeared. Is there, how can people that are running, and I'm asking this for myself, because we kind of fell into this trap too. How can we, you know, bring our culture back to reality of there isn't always going to be unlimited VC dollars. And this isn't like uh, this like utopian place. This is a real business and we have to make money. What are the ways that you can, you know, startups that have been operating in this fantasy world that now need to come back down to reality? What can people do to make that happen? Or is it just like, yeah, what, what can people do? I, I think you just have to make sure you have the team around you who um, gets exactly where the company is and what has to be done. I mean, there are, again, you know, there are uh, wartime CEOs and wartime employees and there are peacetime CEOs and peacetime employees. I think what happened a lot in the world is we went, we went from peacetime to wartime very quickly last year. And, you know, you're seeing, I think, companies um, who are making sort of the, this hard pivot, um, but a necessary pivot. I think they will be the ones that sort of come out the other side of this super successful. But you just, you know, everyone on your and that team's got to realize, like, we're in wartime. Wartime. All right. And my last question here is, obviously, we know that we're in wartime. It's going to be some hard times ahead, but what is the absolute thing that you're most excited about in your journey ahead at LeafLink? Ryan, let's start with you. There are great 
companies and incredible founders and teammates in this space. And we've really gotten as an industry a bad rap. And I don't think we've done ourselves any favors. I'm most excited from our perspective as we continue to bring in amazing people like Artie and you know so many dozens of others on our team to set a standard for like what the industry is going to look like in the future as a polished, respectable, predictable space that isn't defined by things of a bygone era and assumptions that people used to make. I don't think we've done a good job at that. I don't think the companies that get the most attention or that are on public markets do that yet. I'd love to have us begin to like set that narrative and make it clear like who this industry is, who the best operators are, how we support them, and that that's really the future of the cannabis vertical. That's super exciting to me. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's really about how we how this industry at the end of this decade looks in terms of like, there's, there's great consumer brands, there's great, you know, retail experiences. There have been great, um, you know, management teams that sort of have come into the space and built great technology companies, consumer companies, that that and and you know that the cannabis industry is seen as a place where like you 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 go get great talent in from that industry. I think right now what we're doing is like you know as an industry we're trying to recruit talent into the industry. I always say you always know as like a company when you hit it when like folks are trying to poach your employees. I think when you know other industries are showing up and sort of saying like whether it's tech, whether it's consumer, whether it's retail, like look at what has been built there. And you know, like we've been really successful. Well, thank you guys both so much for tuning in. If people are interested in working for LeafLink, you can go to vanks.com slash LeafLink. There's a handful of jobs here and we know there'll be many more jobs posted here. Great opportunity to get in with probably the most well-funded cannabis technology company in the space right now. So Ryan, Artie, thank you so much for your time today and excited to see what LeafLink gets done over the next year. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Carson. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why isn't the endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast and, of course, on PodConnects.